We have the ability to prevent so many issues from coming into existence as opposed to attacking them once they become a problem. And what is the greatest form of validating a person, giving them that sense of self-worth? Kindness. Think about an act of kindness that you've done for somebody. How do you feel afterwards? And it could be small. You feel awesome. Forget about the science behind it and the fact that you're releasing endorphins and that you're lower, lowering your cortisol levels. Forget about all these and oxytocin. Forget about all the scientific evidence. But why do we feel amazing? Because in that moment of giving, in that moment of kindness, we're actually being validated for the right reasons as opposed to what society tells us should validate us. We realize, oh my God, I just made that person smile. And all I had to be and all I had to do was just be me. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is the Orthodox Conundrum. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. Last week, I had the real pleasure of speaking to Tim Madigan, a journalist of note from Fort Worth, Texas, and the author of the fine book, I'm Proud of You, about his close friendship with Mr. Rogers. The reason I wanted to speak to him is that his message, and the message of Fred Rogers, about being kind, being present, and avoiding judgment, is a message which is needed now more than ever. And as I mentioned then, this is as true for our Orthodox communities as it is for the rest of the world. Continuing in that vein, I had the pleasure of speaking to Orly Waba, This interview and last week's kind of act as two parts of a whole, as Orly has made a name for herself by emphasizing these same values, most famously through her short film, Kindness Boomerang, which has been seen by 100 million people. Orly's message is timely, and alongside her initiative to inspire people to say to Helim and become immersed in tefillah, prayer, marks her as a person who is filling a leadership vacuum in the Dati world. Before we get to the interview, let me quickly remind you to please subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. We started a new Facebook group called The Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where we forthrightly discuss issues in the Orthodox Jewish community. So please sign up and join the conversation. If you would like to support this podcast, there are a couple of different ways of doing so. First of all, go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing a couple of sentences. It really helps a lot. So thank you in advance. And second of all, please consider becoming a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch and more. Please check that out. Finally, I will be offering a free one-hour Zoom discussion about how to get your own podcast off the ground this Wednesday, February 17th at 8 p.m. Israel time, 1 p.m. Eastern time. If you can't make it then, no problem. Just write to me and I'll send you a link to the recording. I'll give a 45-minute class followed by 15 minutes of questions how to start your own podcast. Just write to scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com to register or to receive the link for the recording. Again, it's free. And moreover, in order to find great podcasts as well as to learn how to produce your own podcast, make sure to go to jewishcoffeehouse.com. Orly Waba is the founder of the global nonprofit LifeVest Inside. She is a kindness expert, educator, best-selling author, entrepreneur, and keynote speaker who inspires audiences to shift their perspective, thereby altering the way people connect with themselves and the world around them. Her organization, LifeFest Inside, gained international acclaim when Orly's award-winning film Kindness Boomerang went viral, being viewed by over 100 million people and landing her a spot at TED 2013. 
In 2012, Orly created and launched Dance for Kindness, the largest annual worldwide flash mob, which has grown to be a phenomenal leadership training program in over 50 countries. In 2015, she co-created Project Hope Exchange, a digital online repository of messages of hope. In 2017, Orly published her best-selling first book, Kindness Boomerang. Most recently, in 2019, Orly created and launched a mobile app in memory of her grandfather. The app, Abraham's Legacy, a social network for prayer, connects people across the globe through the power of collective prayer. Orly Waba, thank you so much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum. Scott, it's really a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I don't know your life story, but you have dropped several hints about it in various places in your bio and so on and so forth. (laughs) Could you start us off by telling me and our listeners about your background? For sure. So I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I'm from the uh, the modern Orthodox community, the Syrian community uh, in Brooklyn. Grew up there my entire life. And uh, just about three years ago, almost, I decided to uh, take a chance and come to Israel, be here for the year. It was supposed to be just an adventure. And it fit me like a glove. And just this past March, I decided to make Aliyah. Mazal tov. I, I grew up in Brooklyn, went to the Yeshiva, Yeshiva Flatbush, uh, went to college there. And then I was a teacher. I was a middle school teacher for seven incredible, life-changing years. And about 10 years ago, decided to leave my job teaching, a job that I loved so much to really pursue a dream I had in my heart ever since I was a little four-year-old kid. And that was a dream of bringing people together through the power of, of kindness. And it started hmm. with, uh, with a short film I did that went crazy viral, reaching over 100 million people globally. I've been doing that now for the past 10 years. I can't believe it's 10 years. And over the course of that time, I've started other initiatives as well, one of which that I launched just about a year ago called Abraham's Legacy, which is a memory of my grandpa. And it's a social network for prayer focused on uh, the book of Tehillim and unifying people from around the world uh, to complete books in real time. So it's uh, definitely been an exciting journey, but that's just a very, very brief overview. We can go into much more detail, of course. Yeah, I'm sure we will. So I want to ask you about all of that. Let's start off with your decision to start Life Vest Inside, which is your organization that tries to motivate and inspire people to act with kindness. So you said you were having a wonderful career teaching and you left it to found this organization. So what was the motivation or the inspiration for founding Life Vest Inside? So it's a really great question because the truth of the matter is that during my years teaching, the concepts of you know, the concepts of kindness, compassion, empathy, these were concepts I was implementing into my classroom on a daily basis. I was teaching Torah studies and so, of course, that opens up the door to be able to speak about life on a regular on a regular basis. And it was my students that actually inspired me to take my message to the world. But a lot of the, the motivation, the why, the thing that keeps me going, even though there have been definite difficult times, there are always those days where you're wanting to throw in the towel. It's very, very tough. I've been a full-time volunteer now for 10 years, um, investing all my own savings into this. Lots of discouragement by people telling me, you're crazy. How do you think you're going to change the world? What are you doing? You know, why are you leaving your job? Got loads and loads of discouragement. And that's why I think that your why is is really crucial. And for me, my why began, like I said, ever since I was a little four-year-old kid, four-year-old orderly running around talking about wanting to change the world, wanting to bring people together. As, As a young kid, I really felt the pain of the world. I, I didn't understand why their animosity exists between people of different backgrounds, races, religions, cultures. I didn't understand why there has to be this animosity, why there has to be this tension, this war. And I knew 
that I was meant to do something in my life to bring people together. Now, I didn't know how and I didn't know what, but I knew why. And a lot of it, you know, my dad is, is a big dreamer in, in most positive sense and always instilled with me from a young age the belief in Hashem and the belief that Hashem has a specific purpose set out for me. That was something I definitely very much believed. And when people tell you, the only problem is that when people tell you that you can't do something long enough, the biggest danger is that you come to believe it yourself. Right. When you're a little kid talking about changing the world, if people look at you like you're a little bit crazy, but I have to tell you that when you're an adult talking about it, they look like at you like even more crazy. And um, <laughs> a lot of my my motivation to want to really spread kindness, but more than that, to really empower people to recognize their value stemmed from my own lack of self-value, my own insecurities that began in my childhood years from things that happened to a lot of kids in you know, their adolescent, their middle school years, uh, you know, being left out, uh, friends turning on them, not having that sense of a community or group. And those feelings of insecurity went with me and followed me into high school. I was always a very shy kid. I wouldn't be talking. I wouldn't raise my hand in class ever. And the biggest shift happened for me, oddly enough, uh, as a result of a real tragedy that happened in my family. And, you know, it's funny. Oftentimes I say that the hardships, the hardest times in our life, the lowest points in our life are also the points where we're also at our highest potential. It pushes us to tap into something within ourselves that we may not have been able to tap into otherwise. And in my sophomore year of high school, we had a fire in my house. And overnight, my family lost absolutely everything. I mean, hmm. I was, we were okay. I'm one of five siblings. We were okay. But I don't know how to describe in words what it feels like for your home, a place that's your safe haven, that you go to to escape all the hardships that are going on outside. Your home goes up in flames. Like everything, all these memories are just lost. It was six years that my family moved around until we all lived back under the same roof. I mean, put it this way, I was a junior in college when we were all finally like living together. That's unreal. A completely different person. Wow. But that first year, that first year was the absolute hardest. I'll never forget seeing my parents the next morning. It does something to you when you see your parents break down, when you see your parents cry. I don't know how to explain it. But the last thing I wanted to do was be a burden on them. I wanted to be strong for them. So I kept my emotions and feelings hidden from them. My friends, they didn't know what to say to me. I mean, they're 15. They're going through their own stuff, you know? And sometimes you try to talk to somebody when, they, you know, they're going through something rough. You don't know what to say, so you just change the subject. And all I needed was somebody to just listen. And so I kept my emotions hidden from them. But the truth of the matter is you can never do that for very long. You can't do that for an extended period it's of time. It's going to eventually come out. It's going to eventually yeah. come out some way. Yeah. And it wasn't just the fire. You know, it was one of those years, which is not hard for us to understand after coming off of 2020, right? You know, one of those years where everything that could go wrong went wrong. When you're like, okay, you know, can't get worse than this. I mean, come on, how could it get worse? And then it gets worse. My dad had lost his business. I only found out years later that there were days where they didn't know how they were going to put food on the table. And it was one thing after the next, after the next. And came to the point where I went to sleep one night. And I just sort of didn't wake up the next day. I fell into a state of real dark depression. And when I say dark, I mean suicidal dark. Gosh, How old I was, were you? I was, I was 15. I was angry at the whole world. I mean, angry at my family, at my friends, at God. But God was the only one I was screaming to. I was angry. 
And it was because, you know, I was always, even though I was a shy kid, I always loved people. So if you were, if you were absent from school one day, whether we hung in the same crew or not, I was that kid, you know, that was bringing notes to you the next day. And there I was, I was home from school for several months, crying most of the day, sleeping the rest of it. And not one person came to visit. Not one person called to see if I was okay. And it made me wonder and think like, if I wasn't here tomorrow, I mean, would it matter? Would it make a difference to anybody? And it felt like the answer was no. I felt so alone and isolated. I just, and so much pain. I just wanted that pain to end. And I was forced to go back to school after several months, but I wasn't the same kid. You know, I was that kid in the corner, mm-hmm. super isolated. And I didn't care. I let my grades fall. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't care what anybody had to say. And I didn't trust anybody. You know, people come up to me and say, oh, are you okay? And I'd say yes. And in my heart, I would just say, please, please ask me again. Please don't stop asking. And they'd walk on by and I'd say, see, people don't really care. I played that game with myself all the time, not trusting people. And they probably said, see, she's okay. She says exactly. she's okay. Exactly. And, and, and that's a game that we play when we get hurt. I mean, it's a defense mechanism, you know, and I just didn't trust that people actually authentically cared. And one not very so special day when I was getting ready to go to school, I was looking at myself in the mirror as I was washing up. I was like really looking at myself and the scariest thing happened. I didn't see, me. I didn't see that four-year-old Orly that dreamed of changing the world. Looking back at me, it was like, it was like she was gone. Like someone took her. And that scared me more than anything. And it was in that moment that I made a promise to myself. I didn't know how I was going to be able to pick myself back up, but I made a promise to myself. And it's a promise that guided me to my years teaching, that guided me to the work I do at LifeFest Inside, that guides me to whatever is next, and that wakes me up every morning. And it's a promise to be there for people the way I just wished somebody would have been there for me. To see people the way I wish somebody would have just seen me. That's unbelievable. And that really seems to be the theme of your internet sensation film, Kindness Boomerang. As you mentioned, 100 million people watching it. It goes absolutely viral in ways that at least, you know, most of my videos don't get 100 million views. I don't know about our listeners, but that's me personally. But that video is all about seeing the people that we normally would ignore. And that obviously was, that was really what's going on there. How did you get the idea of, of that video? How did that come up? Because that it sounds from what you're saying, that was really the first step yes. in uh, Life Fest Inside. Is that right? Yes, exactly. I mean, I had a background. So first of all, I had a background in film production from college. And while I was teaching, like I said, I mean, kindness, the concept of kindness, see, the, the, the way I think of it is one of the biggest issues that we're facing as a society in today's world is a lack of self-value and self-worth. If you think about all the different social issues going on, right? whether it be, you know, drugs or war, depression or bullying. So many people approach negative situations through the anti-approach. You ever notice that? So if like- What do you mean the anti-approach? So what I mean, if there's bullying, people talk about anti-bullying. If there's war, anti-war, drugs, anti-drugs, depression, anti-depression. What are we doing? This is not a math equation. Negative times negative doesn't give you positive. What we tend to do is we tend to see a problem and try to put a bandaid on it as opposed to asking the question, but why does that problem exist? Not how can we just fix that, but why? What leads a person to drugs? Or what leads a person to picking up that gun? What pushes them to that place? 
And when we continue to ask the question of why, as opposed to trying to simply put a band-aid on a problem, what we find is that it stems from a lack of self-value and self-worth. People not feeling that who they are matters, that they are unique, that they're significant, that there's something that they can contribute. And when a person feels that lack and that void, they sometimes try to fill that void with other things. But the thing is, no one in this world and nothing in this world can give you the validation that you're looking for except the person looking at you right back in the mirror. That's it. Now, it's not easy. It's not easy to be able to feel that sense of value because I'll tell you what, even the people that have all their stuff together, the influencers that people follow, every person has insecurities. Every person has ups and downs. There's no such thing as never having a down. We all question our value and our worth, but we're living in a world of you know, digital media, and I'm not bashing digital media in any way, shape, or form, because without it, I wouldn't be here, and you and I wouldn't be talking right now. Right. However, it's brought us to a place where we are constantly being faced with comparing ourselves with others, constantly, always looking at a facade of what a person puts up, maybe on their social media page, of what their life is. We quantify our validation on these numbers that are fake, whether it be followers or, you know, or social standing or money that a person has in their bank, all these numbers that really don't do anything. Because a person can have all those numbers, they can have all the success and the wealth and the beauty, but they could still be going to bed at night, crying themselves to sleep. So my thought is, if we can empower people to understand their value, that there's no such thing as a oops, accidental person in this world. If you're here, you have air in your lungs, that means there's something that you can do that no matter what I try to do in my life, I will never be able to do. Hmm. And so if we can empower a person, we have the ability to prevent so many issues from coming into existence as opposed to attacking them once they become a problem. And what is the greatest form of validating a person, giving them that sense of self-worth? Kindness. Think about an act of kindness that you've done for somebody. How do you feel afterwards? And it could be small. You feel awesome. Forget about the science behind it and the fact that you're releasing endorphins and that you're lower, lowering your cortisol levels. Forget about all these, and oxytocin. Forget about all the scientific evidence. But why do we feel amazing? Because in that moment of giving, in that moment of kindness, we're actually being validated for the right reasons as opposed to what society tells us should validate us. We realize, oh my God, I just made that person smile. And all I had to be and all I had to do was just be me. And so for me, these were things I was teaching in my class. And I said, okay, how cool would it be if I can show people the ability that kindness has to go seamlessly from one person to the next? And it doesn't require even speaking the same language or even talking. It requires your eyes seeing, which is why in the film, there is no dialogue. It's all being communicated through the eyes, the window to the soul. And I sat down and wrote all of these kindness experiences I personally went through. Every one of those scenes that you see, based on a real life experience. I have a backstory about every character that you saw on that, on that screen. Even though they're on the screen for 10 seconds, I got an entire backstory. And I was my summer off from teaching. I wrote the script, decided to do the film. It had been seven years since I had done film. Everyone I knew told me I was nuts. What are you doing? Investing all your money into this. You're not going to reach anybody. Who are you thinking? But I knew I had to do it. It was a calling. And it was the most incredible experience and probably till this day one of the single greatest accomplishments of my life.
It's an amazing film, and everyone who sees it does not forget it. In fact, yesterday I was driving my daughter, and I mentioned that I was interviewing you today, Orly, and I said, you're the one who made that video. She goes, she knew right away, oh, the Life Fest, and she, of course she knew the video. Everyone knows the video because it's so powerful. It has such a resonant message, and it conveys it in such a beautiful way. It certainly has affected a lot of people, and it's very emotionally powerful. It's been incredible to see it continuing to take these spurts of virility, like and reaching people all over the world. And when I first started, I didn't have a website. I didn't have, I was just, I was a teacher thrown into all of a sudden within a month of posting a video, it going viral. And all I had was my YouTube channel. And all I had was myself and my words. And all Wait, I was did, there a marketing campaign or it just happened nothing, naturally? marketing, nothing. I didn't even know how to upload a video to YouTube. I had to search how to upload video to YouTube. I had nothing, I had nothing. But I believe that the reason that it got shared so much is because what people saw on the screen is they saw a reflection of themselves. And that's, I think, why it touched people. They realize the, it's the simple things that matter. You don't need to leave your job and start a nonprofit to make a difference. You don't need to necessarily go and volunteer in an old age home or in a soup kitchen. You actually just need to see the people. Sometimes the people you need to see the most, the people that are right there in front of you. And all I did that entire year was just communicate with people. Thousands of messages coming in a day, and I answer every single one. Wow. Every single one. And the relationships were built, and there were people from all different backgrounds and cultures and religions and different languages. And it was about creating that communication, creating dialogue on that channel. There was even fights that would sometimes erupt on the channel. You might say, how could that be? The video is about kindness. But you would sometimes have uh, some religious wars that went on. Somebody writes, oh, this is what we believe in our religion. Other person's, oh, you guys are terrorists. This is terrible. And oh, then boy. suddenly what ended up happening, I would come in, I would mediate. And what was amazing is that just with some words of kindness and understanding and dialogue, suddenly people were able to see the other person's perspective. It doesn't matter whether they agree with it or not, because we don't all need to be the same and we don't all need to think the same. And I think one of the biggest things that we've lost as a world, as humanity, is that ability to have dialogue, to recognize that there's somebody else that thinks differently than you. We used to have dialogue. Dialogue has gone out the window. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. This is actually one of the big issues that I feel is so acute in modern discourse is the fact that no matter what side of any political divide, whether it's American, Israeli, yes. or anywhere else, no matter which side you belong to, that idea that we look at our opponents politically or religiously or whatever else as enemies rather than people with whom we disagree, but 100%. with whom we share a common humanity, that's gone now. So, yeah. I mean, it's okay to see people as friends who see things differently. And yet so often we don't. How do you change that? I know you're saying that in general, we have to look at people, but what do you do orally specifically? I think that one of the reasons that, and I, I used to, I spoke about this years ago as I saw this beginning, because this is, this has been uh, some years in the making, this divide. Uh, it really has, and change, whether for the good or bad, happened slowly, which means that we don't actually, we're not able to pinpoint when it came from, but it did start very slowly. And I believe that sometimes, now while we're moving towards a, a place of inclusivity, everybody talks about inclusivity, something that I said years ago, years ago, is that we have to be very careful because that could become a little dangerous in the fact that inclusivity does not mean, right, that the person, the people that are included need to believe what you believe. Sometimes we become so inclusive that we become exclusive. That's what's happened to us as a world. We become so inclusive that we become exclusive. Meaning, Can you explain so what you mean? What do you mean we, we become exclusive? I'll explain, to you, I'll, I'll explain to you what I mean by that. 
Meaning, let's say, for example, you believe that we need to have an inclusive society. Everybody, you know, should be equal, so on and so forth. That's a beautiful sentiment. What you need to realize, though, is that there are going to be people that are not necessarily bad people, but everybody has a different perspective. The greatest example I could give you, do you remember a few years ago, there was this um, uh, audio sound that went viral where some people heard Yanni and some people heard Laurel. Do you remember this? And there was yeah, people of course. Going around. Some right. people saw pink, some people saw green. Right. This is a perfect example of the fact that, guess what? Nothing is as clear cut as we see. Even if you take something like an audio, it's the same audio sound. People are going to hear it differently. What we have to recognize is though, even though we think we're doing something for the good, there are going to be people that maybe disagree with us. That doesn't make them the enemy just because they disagree with what we consider to be inclusive or we consider to be kind, or we consider to be this. We have to be able to share our perspective. And this is how I always, in terms of conflict management, it's important if somebody has a different opinion than you, it's not about speaking so that you can convince them that you're right. It's about offering your perspective. Listen, I appreciate where you're coming from. I want to offer you my perspective. Here is my perspective, but here's the thing. If you're not authentic, okay, you have to be very authentic. And only you will know that because your words won't say it. Oh, you have to actually believe it. What does being authentic mean? It means you share your perspective. And then even after you've shared it, you appreciate their perspective and allow them to continue thinking their perspective is right. You're inviting them to see your perspective, but you're okay even if after you've explained it and you thought you really, you know, if they're not going to see it the way you see it, it's still okay. And I believe that the reason, again, this comes to lack of self-value. My belief is that the reason that we have such a hard time embracing people that don't believe as we do is because we don't believe enough in what we believe. What do I mean by that? Let me ask you this, okay? Yeah. If you believe enough in what you believe, let's, let's you know what, forget about talking about different religions even. Let's say even in the Jewish world, okay? There's all different sects, people that, you know, this rabbi, that person, this, whatever. Imagine, if you believe what you believe, you really believe it, you're okay and you're secure with who you are and your beliefs, when you're secure with who you are, you now are free to understand that everybody has their pathway to get to maybe that same end goal. So now Absolutely. Free. you have a freedom to embrace others for what they believe because you're not fearful. If you're fearful that somebody else's thoughts and ideology is going to influence you, what do you do automatically? You shove your thoughts and ideologies down their throat because you're so scared. You're so scared. What you're saying now is I think, and admittedly, this is not our topic for today. This is an entirely different discussion. One of the problems that can take place when people become involved in Kiruv and trying to make non-religious Jews more religious. Now, I'm all for non-religious Jews becoming religious. If you were to ask me, would it be good if all Jews were Shomrei Shabbat? If they kept Shabbat, I'd say, of course I believe that. I think that all Jews should. But sometimes I wonder if it comes from a place of lack of respect for a person's independent decision-making, which in turn might be from a sense of insecurity of their own position. I don't know, exactly. but it's I one believe- of the things that worries me. Yeah, I, that is. this is where it comes from. This is where it comes from because... If you don't, if you're not secure in who you are, if you're not secure really in your beliefs, as human beings, it's very hard for us to believe that we're not leading life in the right way. So everybody thinks that their way is the middle way. Everybody thinks that their way is the middle way. And then we tend to judge others. But why? It doesn't make sense to my mind. It really doesn't make sense to my mind. If you're okay with where you're at, 
okay, if we're talking about, let's say, religiously, then you can embrace somebody else for where they're at. They don't have to be at the same place as you. We all came into this world in different places. We're not here to judge. We're here to do one thing, one thing only, to work on our character. That's why we're here. Working on your character doesn't mean you look out to others. It means you look inward. You do the hardest work of all, the work of the heart. And it doesn't mean orally, of course, that you say that what I'm saying is relative, it's not true. If you believe that you're accurate and you're telling the truth, you should believe that. It's not a matter of saying, well, I might be wrong. It's more a matter of saying the fact that I believe what I believe and I believe it firmly doesn't mean that you can't believe what you believe firmly exactly, as well. Exactly, because exactly. I respect the fact that you believe it in that way. And listen, to be honest, you know, to, to bring in just the concept from tefillah, if I may, okay, you know, it, it says in the very beginning of the Amidah prayer that we that, that, that's prayed three times a day, it says, Elokei Abraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov, which means the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzchak, the God of Yaakov. It's very strange. Anshei Knesset Agdola, which were, you know, the great assembly, and they, they wrote this with a tremendous amount of, of, of inspiration. Why would they put extra words in? Why not just say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why say God of God of God of? Because it was a lesson to us that Yitzchak did not follow God because Abraham did, and Yaakov didn't follow God because Yitzchak did. They each made God their own. They each found him. And when you find him and you make him yours, nobody can take him from you. I was lucky because even though I had tremendous faith since I was a little kid, I really, I was brought up in that way. I made God my own when I was 15, when I was so super angry with him and I was screaming at him, but he was the only one I spoke to. He became mine. And what does that mean? Nobody could take him from me. So why am I open to be able to, to connect with people of all different standings? I mean, like I, across the board. Because I really, I do, I know who I am. And so I'm okay of where you are. That just because we're different does not mean I can't in, embrace you as an individual. You know, that is our job. You know, they say love others as yourself. People always focus on the love others. That's easy, actually. It's inherently born in us. The hard part is the yourself. Love yourself and the rest comes into play. But I want to ask you a question about what you're saying, because something which I personally have been struggling with particularly throughout what's going on with the current pandemic and various other aspects of the political divide, I sometimes wonder where the line is between being kind to everybody, respecting all positions, and on the other hand, criticizing when I think someone is doing something which is really dangerous. Great question. People will say, well, criticize the action, don't criticize the person. And I really try to do that. I'm always careful in a post, at least I try to be, to say this action is wrong, not the person is bad. That said, it doesn't matter. I'm still criticizing somebody. I'm not accepting their opinion as an acceptable opinion. There obviously are times we say that is not an acceptable opinion. If somebody says, I'm okay driving drunk because I know myself, that's dangerous. I'm going to call that person out and say, you can't 100%. do that. So what do 100%. we do? So let me let me try to explain a little bit of what, what my position on this. First of all, being kind does not mean that you're a doormat. It does not mean that you can be run over. It does not mean that you shouldn't uh, stand up for what's right. A lot of people take kindness to be weakness. It's not true. You're allowed to share. That doesn't mean you have to put your head in the sand. You cannot comment on what's going on. It does not mean that at all. It's just the way in which we do it. Now, of course, we have to realize something. If people, and again, the, the reason why it's difficult is because it's all a matter of perspective or where is that line? Different people see the line in different places. The way I see it, I'm talking about me. I'm not saying it's right. Everybody has their own perspective, okay? But the way I see it is, as long as your beliefs, as long as a person's belief, like they believe right, they believe in what they believe, as long as it does not, as long as it does not harm the life of other people, as long as it does not harm the life of other people, the person can believe as they believe. 
The moment that they're going to say, my belief is telling me, you know, I need to kill you. Or my belief is telling me that I could do this, which is, but again, the hard part is, well, where's that line? Because there's a zillion interpretations, right? It, exactly. So my, my, That's the problem. It is the problem. But, but the thing that we need to understand is it's the way in which we share that. Yes, we have to be able to stand up for what we believe to be right. But we have to also do it. We need to be able to focus on doing it in a respectful way where our words are actually going to be heard. Because sometimes if one side yells one thing and the other yells the other thing, nobody is actually hearing each other. They're just yelling to hear their opinion, as opposed to understanding that oftentimes things are not one way or the other. There's a little bit of gray. There's a little bit of overlap. And the idea is it's about taking those steps towards those areas. It's not easy. And there's no blanket statement I can give you that will apply to every situation. I can't. I would be lying if I said that, you know, every situation, if we brought a specific situation, yes, we could talk about that. But as a blanket statement, we can't do that. The idea again is yes, we must, as a people, we must stand up for what is right or wrong. We cannot just allow atrocity to happen, but we have to know how to do it. And we have to recognize that it's easier to cast judgment on something that we don't know because we're not in that person's shoes. Generally, there's always two sides of the coin. And it's important to take the time to try to empathize with where that person is coming from. Not because you're going to give them a free pass, but because there's not, no such thing as absolute on either end. We need to move away from this absolute vision. The divide has become so, so great that there are very few people left in the middle. We need to move away from those absolutes to take steps closer to one another. That's my, my personal opinion, again, on this as a whole. Uh, but to give more specifics, it's harder to do it as a blanket statement. To be yeah, honest. no, of course. It's just something which continually comes up. It's the question about, are you going to emphasize the Sor Meirah or the Asay Tov? Obviously, we want to do both, the stay away from evil or do something positive. For example, even this past week, I put up a post criticizing a certain group of people for attending a funeral that had 12,000 people at it. And during the COVID pandemic, I thought that was really wrong. And some people yeah. said, that's great. And other people said, I mean, it's great that I put it up. And other people said, how can you cause sinat chinam, hatred of other Jews? And I don't have a good answer because they might say, you're only preaching to the choir. On the other hand, we have to remind ourselves of proper behavior. It's not simple. I, I agree. And, and to talk about that point, because I know exactly the c- c- scenario you're speaking of. And I had a discussion about this uh, with like a group of people last Shabbat. And is it wrong to gather in thousands um, with a pandemic going on and the ability to spread a virus? A hundred percent. I would I, say I, so. Yes. A hundred percent. I think it's wrong. However, what we have to be careful about is the fact that generally we, we sometimes place labels or generalizations. We put people into a specific bucket. So I was sitting last week at a Shabbat table here in my, in my home and I had one of my friends, family members come, come over they're not religious. Um, they're traditional, you know, so they came for Shabbat and get along very well. I mean, I, thank God I get along with people from all over the place. Then this conversation was brought up. It wasn't a heated conversation. We actually each shared our thoughts and it, I think it came to a very, very good place. And one of the things that was said, they're like, yeah, because, you know, the, the you know, Dati community, like the religious community and, you know, and they're on the Chiloni side. So I said, okay, but you have to understand something. I consider myself Dati, but I consider this action to be inappropriate, right? The, the problem is, is that if, if, for some reason, I find it to be very, very much um, 
something that people do, we tend to categorize. It's hard for us if we don't categorize people in a specific bucket. You can't make a generalization. It's, you can't do that because that causes baseless hatred. That is what causes baseless hatred. You, you can say that something is wrong, but you right. cannot generalize an entire population that may also think that that's wrong, but they also would fall under specifically that, that label. You need to be able to discuss each thing in its way, because if you're going to, it's the way you have the conversation. It's the way that you bring it up, because if you don't bring it up in a sensitive way, okay, it can cause hatred. And this one's saying Dati, this one's saying Chiloni, everybody's pointing fingers at each other. Everybody hates the other guy. Why? What, what are we hating for? What are, well, for what? That's true. But on the other hand, Arlie, I think it's important to mention, and you can tell me if you disagree with me about this, one of the lines which I've been quoting in the context of some of these issues is a line by Rav Norman Lamzatzal, the former president of Yeshiva University, who described in a very different context, he was talking about Yigal Amir when he shot Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin. And okay. he was saying that people are saying, this is back 25 years ago, saying, obviously, we reject that sort of behavior. It doesn't even need to be said. Rabbi Lamb's line was, yes, these, the people who do this, are weeds in our garden, but they're weeds in our garden. And sometimes you have to take responsibility by saying we've allowed the weed to grow. So even though, obviously, I'm not suggesting that we uh, categorize people into large groups, every Haredi is responsible for this, every Dati person is responsible for this, every Chiloni person is responsible for this. But if we do identify with the community, it also can be a way of avoiding responsibility to say, well, that's not me, and since I don't like that behavior, for this purpose and this purpose alone, I'm going to say that person is not Dati or that person is not Haredi. We have to acknowledge that the weeds sometimes grow in our garden so that we can uproot them. A hundred percent. I don't. I. I don't disagree that we be that each one, one of us has to acknowledge when things are not right. One hundred percent. But it's very easy. The question is: Do we do? Do we do we um, apply the same standard to ourselves? We right. have to be able to apply the same same standard across the board. Good and point. I think that that's that's something where I, I I've seen a divide. Meaning, it's okay to be able to speak out on something. Okay. And again, it's the way in which we do it because the terminology that we're bringing can sometimes only cause more hatred. As long as we are applying the standard across the board that we're not really seeing only this way or that way. I think that that allows for a lot more dialogue, a lot more conversation and eventually a lot more and recognizing at the end of the day that we're all part of the same exact nation. We're all part of the same. Like I don't see labels when I see a person. I really don't. I do not see. I don't, I don't care about their label. I, I'm seeing each individual as, as who they are. And the problem is we, we tend to judge people based on what they're doing or uh, what they're believing as opposed to getting to know the person underneath. So, uh, I mean, again, this, this, I'm, my goodness, I could go into a whole separate talk just on this topic, which I really love. Like, my goodness, the, the Shabbat table conversation last week was so incredible. And we got to such an in, incredible space. I have to tell you, like, uh, but that, that's another conversation for another time, I guess. I want to ask you about something that you wrote in your bio. I'm going to quote something which is there. It says, she also has hopes and dreams of infusing positive change in the political arena by focusing on ethics, character, and values. Now, Orly, that sounds amazing. But is that realistic? In some ways, I've become cynical. Are we really going to be able to change something <laughs> as stagnant and unchanging in a positive way as the political arena? 
So I'll tell you, so it's so funny you say that because my whole life, I, my especially my family, because they know, you know, I was that kid singing uh, Michael Jackson's song "Heal the World" as a little kid, you know, wanted to make <laughs> all these changes, and they're like, "Orly, you can't change these things, you know, you're very naive, you're living in." Look, I have to tell you something. I've definitely gotten hurt in my life by people, for sure. That I could definitely be a, a very, very cynical person, but I always say that if I allow that to happen, then then they win and I lose. I have so much hope in people. I really, I have to say, I think my, my biggest job is falling in love with people more and more each day. I do, I really do. I know that there's a lot of negative stuff going on in the world. I know it. I'm not an ostrich, I'm not putting my head in the sand, but I have to say, there's also so much good. It's just so much easier to see the bad. There is so much good. And you know, when we also focus and give not acknowledgement to the good, we have the ability to produce more of that good. Because we as human beings are like magnets, right? Well, that's the film again. That's exactly what the film was all about. Right? You know, it, it, let's say you wake up in the, in the morning, you woke up late, you missed your, your alarm, then all of a sudden you missed the bus, you stepped into a puddle, you, your boss started screaming at you, you come to work, it's only like 9 a.m. and you're like, oh my God, it's such a bad day. It's going to be one of those days. What ends up happening as a result? It actually becomes one of those days. A self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, because the energy that we put out really is drawn back to us. Now, am I saying that it's easy? Am I saying that this is easy peasy, a snap a finger, and you can be able to incorporate values, ethics, character? Into... I'm not saying it's easy. Am I saying it's doable? Yeah, yeah, I'm saying it's doable. No matter how crazy somebody is going to think I am. I do, I really do. Because I know myself personally, I look at the world and I, I see a lot of hope. I really do. I really do. And I believe that we can get to a better place. I, I, I do. And I think that we've come far in ways, but sometimes, you know, it's hard to see the full spectrum of our history and how far we really have come, uh, you know, in terms of a lot of things. Sometimes I say that the greatest way to actually achieve the dreams and the goals you have isn't to look forward, it's actually to look backward. What do I mean by that? Sometimes as you're climbing that mountain, it's important to stop in the middle when you're when you're feeling like, oh my gosh, I can't go any further and actually not look forward because looking forward at the gap of where you are to where you want to be will crush you and stop you from even taking the next step. Sometimes you got to look back and see how far you've come and allow that positive energy and that positive momentum to continue to propel you forward. I do believe that there are people that want to do good in the world. I know that there are people that uh, say that it's impossible. How could you possibly incorporate character and, and values and ethics into, into the political sphere? But I think that there are people out there that really want to bring good. I know that corruption exists, but I, I, I do believe that there are people that will be able to, to, to get us to where we need to be. And we just need to be able, I think, to continue having hope in that. And there are various ways in which I see doing that, but I know it's a much longer conversation. I mean, that's a very, very big statement I wrote, and it comes with a lot of thought behind it. All right. Well, it's very hopeful. I'm glad you said that. Let me ask you who your role models for kindness and implementing this change are in your life. Okay, my greatest role model, and I know it's maybe it's going to sound weird. Um, I, my greatest role model, honestly, is Hashem. What I mean by that, even though it's not a person, the reason why is because I don't know people that can unconditionally love you, right? It's hard for human beings to understand that. But the way I always see it, you know, the first thing we say in the morning, when you say modani, when you say when you're thanking God to bring you back your, your soul, people always forget the last two words of that line. And it says, Rabba your great faith in me. Shouldn't we say our great faith in you? But the way I see it, and literally I see this every morning in my head, is when I wake up, I say that line, Rabba Munatecha means, 
his great faith in me. It's like God calling to all the angels, say, come, 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 come. Look what Orly's going to do today. Check out what Scott's going to do today. Wow, that's a beautiful idea. Regardless of mistakes we make yesterday and the day before and the day before that, we are not our mistakes. How have I learned kindness? I've learned it by observing how kind God is to us and how much he loves us. And the fact that he's betting on me every day, even when I don't want to bet on myself. So I always say, you know, maybe the rest of the world isn't betting on me or thinking I'm crazy or naive or, you know, what am I thinking I'm going to do? But if the king of the universe is betting on me, it's pretty good. I, I think I should bet on myself. Wow, that's a fantastic interpretation. I never heard that. That's great. I really, really like that. I'm going to quote that. <laughs> and, and I also say my dad, my dad, 1000%, he has instilled within me such a faith and such a love. He's gone through so many hard times. He's been taken advantage of many different times in his life. He's gone through so much hardship. And the line he always says is, oh, Orly, Hashem is big. He's been like the guy, kid, a guy, you know, knockout punch. And to see that, and it's just, he's my, he's my greatest inspiration. It's the honest truth. That's really, really nice. So let's talk about something else regarding God that you're involved in that's not specifically involving kindness. It's more about communicating with God. Your new initiative, Abraham's Legacy, this is an initiative to encourage people to say Tehillim and to improve their experience of prayer, at least as I understand that. So what inspired you to do this new initiative as well? And how is it related to your work in kindness and life best inside? Incredible question. And like I said, most stuff, most uh, great things that we come up with come out of a place of hardship, as crazy as that sounds, but it's the truth. And back in 2014, so the app was released about a year and a half ago, but back in 2014 on Passover, my grandfather, who's like the captain of our family, you know, he, um, he fell and he broke his hip. Now he had heart issues to begin with. And when you're older and you break your hip, it's not so simple. It leads oh, it's to bad, right. down a road. It's like a ripple effect, you know? And we thought we were losing him right there on the spot. And honestly, if we did, I think we would have lost a few family members as well, just emotionally as a result of it. And the first thing we did is we took the book of Tehillim. We know that there's a tremendous power in the book of Tehillim, okay? It's, you know, the reason why I love it is they say that when we when you pray, it's like you're talking to God. And when you're learning Torah, God is talking to you, he's answering your questions. But the beautiful thing about Tehillim is that it's both. It's a dialogue. As you know, I love dialogue. And what's great is it's both a prayer and also a study. As you're speaking, your answers are actually coming to you if you have the, the ability to see them. You know, we took the book, we split it up amongst kids, his grandkids. Every day, each one of us were going to say specific chapters to complete the book. But I was really nervous. What if somebody wasn't going to say their chapters? Who wants to be the guy that's going to come and say, oh, I forgot to read for grandpa today. Who wants to be that guy? Nobody. So I was really worried. And I decided to take upon myself quietly to finish the whole book of Tehillim myself every day. And I did it for months, for months. And the, the miracles I saw, I, I can't begin to tell you. Within two weeks of that, I had a dream about this app, as crazy as that sounds, but it's true. I have my initial drawings when I first woke up. It's crazy. It's like the same look. And what was, what was this about? It was solving an issue that, you know, how can we unify people or be able to complete books? Because when, when somebody's life is on the line, every single prayer counts. And so I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't have the money to do it. I didn't have, but I knew why I needed to do it. And thank God, you know, without going into the full backstory, I was able to finally bring it into fruition. And I called it Abraham's legacy for two reasons. Number one, people always tell me, why call it Abraham's legacy? It was David that is, uh, you know, wrote most of the Prakim It's very true. However, Abraham, Abraham is the one that brought the oneness of God into the world, the actual recognition. He's a pioneer. 
He's a, to, to think of it now, it's very easy. To, oh, yeah, well, it seems pretty simple. Yeah, he's the first one to bring that concept into the world. Also, my grandfather's name is Avraham, was Avraham. And so this was his legacy of Tehillim uh, through di different stories that happened, seeing the miracles of what took place during that, uh, during that time. And another aspect is that Avraham is the father of all nations. And now to me, everything I do is all about connectivity. Everything I do with life lessons, every day, I like to show the commonality. Yes, we can all be different and we all have our own pets and that's fine and we shouldn't be the same. Okay. But I love to show the commonality. Do you know that Tehillim is the one thing that is read both in the Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Tehillim is something that is part of, of their- it's part of the liturgy. Right. Exactly. And to me, that's, that's really, that's really powerful. And I said, how cool would it be to create a space where people can come together whether they're speaking different languages, currently the app is in four languages, Hebrew, English, Spanish, French, and hopefully others coming. That when you have a couple of minutes to, 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 to say Tehillim, all you do is you click start reading and it just generates for you the next chapter in the global count. So if the global counts up to chapter 50, you click, you get 51. And in real time, you can see how many people are reading and how many countries, how many chapters are in books completed and even create your own private prayer circles where at the same time, you could be having people like at one of an event that we recently had where you have 750 people on at that exact second from 22 countries and 22 books are completed like that. But my real goal for this is not just about the consumption of reading Prakim, but it's about helping people to internalize how those Psalms, those chapters are relevant to their every day. Because as opposed to digital media, where we, where most people put up the, the beautiful picture of what their life looks like, you know, we rarely talk about our failures. Tilim is the exact opposite. That's David Amelech talking about the worst days, the hardest days, the days where you don't usually share, you don't post, you know, how you look when you're looking crazy. It's talking about us. It's related to every one of us. It's an amazing look into our own souls and an amazing way to connect people from Am Yisrael in prayer. Uh, and, it's, and I'm excited for where it's, it's going next. And how do people get access to the app? The app is a free app. It's a L'Shem Shemaim project. I did it in memory of my grandfather. It will always be free. Uh, it's currently available on iOS and on Android. So it's both. And uh, like I said, the, the whole platform is in four languages. And we also have the book in different languages as well. Um, and so you can download it directly from the app store by searching Abraham's Legacy. We're almost out of time, but I want to ask you two more questions. I could ask you many more than two more questions, but I want to conclude with two things. The first one is, what is your next project? Obviously, you're a doer. You're somebody who really has had <laughs> tremendous influence on people and on Israel and the whole world through your videos, through your books, etc. What's your next project? Well, of course, within each of the things that I'm doing within Life Fest Inside, with David Hamer's Legacy, there's loads more in terms of features, in terms of initiatives, in terms of programs that I'm adding on a regular day basis. But one of the other things um, that I recently started working on is an initiative called the Social Impact Initiative. I joined it just about a year ago. And basically what it is, is teaching social entrepreneurship to Jewish youth through the Jewish lens, through character and values of how it's not just about the title that you have in your position. It's not about just getting from point A to point B, but it's about the people's lives that you touch as you're going from point A to point B and how we can incorporate those things into our life. And like I said, bring character and values to the forefront. That to me is a huge part of my own personal mission. And my last question is this. As we conclude this podcast, and you've spoken so much and so eloquently about your own experience and the need of kindness and the importance of kindness, what would be 
in short, a message you want to send to our listeners about the importance of kindness? What I tell you is like this. I think that kindness begins with yourself. It's like uh, when you're on a plane and the plane is going down and they tell you in case of an emergency, put on your life vest and then help the person next to you. Even if that person's a kid, it sounds very insensitive, right? Like they're, they're very cruel, but they actually understand something very important that if you're going to drown, you're not going to be able to help anybody else. That's the concept of life vest inside to recognize that that life vest is inside of you, but even more so. The difference between a life vest that will keep someone afloat and then one that will allow someone to drown is one very basic thing. It's air. You see, the more that you blow into your life vest, the more that you give, wholeheartedly give, and give from a place of abundance, give from a place of strength as opposed to a place of weakness, as opposed to a place of depletion. The more you, you give, it's like you're blowing air into your vest. And the stronger that becomes, not only will you be able to stay afloat, but you'll be able to help others afloat. So I want to encourage all of you to do as I did when I was 15. I didn't do it on purpose, but to look in the mirror. Look at yourself in the mirror. Ask the questions of who is the person that you want to be looking back at you. And recognize that this year of COVID, if anything, it's taught us that it's not about the busy work that we do. It's about the inner work, the silent work. We've been forced into this silence because the hardest work, like I said, is the work of the heart. And if we focus on us, as opposed to focusing on the downfalls of others or where a person did something wrong, instead of pointing the finger outward, instead of even giving in the outward, if you lift yourself, if you fill yourself, if you work internally on your character, the kindness is gonna come naturally. It's, it's not a job. It's not like, yeah, I do kindness on Monday and Thursdays from five to six, you miss me? Have you done your daily chesed? Exactly. It's not a checklist. It is not the way, it's, it's not something you do. It's something you live. Abraham Avinu that was known as Isha Chesed, the man of kindness, never did an act of kindness in his life. No, he did not. He lived it. His tents were open on all sides. He was constantly looking for it. It starts though with the way in which you look at yourself. So take that long, hard glance. Don't worry if you don't see something that you like because you got the king of the universe betting on you. Now it's your turn to bet on yourself. Orly Waba, this has been so inspiring for me personally, I'm sure for everyone listening. So thank you so much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me today. Please subscribe to the Orthodox Conundrum podcast and share and tell your friends about it and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Join the new Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook, where in the few weeks since the group started, we've had some fascinating and I believe productive discussions about how to make Orthodox Judaism live up to its own high standards and very impressive ideals. Visit jewishcoffeehouse.com to find some of the very best podcasts in the Jewish world, including Chochmat Nashim, Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, The Francisca Show, Let My People Eat, and more. Please also consider joining the Jewish Coffeehouse team as a Patreon subscriber. Patreon subscribers get great bonus podcasts, excellent merch, and more, while helping Jewish Coffeehouse reach a growing audience. Finally, if you're interested in having your own podcast, Jewish Coffeehouse can help make it happen. We'll assist you with anything you need. We can teach you the skills to make a podcast that sounds as good as an FM radio show. We can help you with recording, editing, music, graphic art, promotion, and more. We can give you tips on podcast styles, interviewing, hosts, guests, and everything else you need to make your podcast the best it can be. Whatever you need, Jewish Coffeehouse will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. A great way to get started is with my upcoming free podcasting class, 
this Wednesday, February 17th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time or 8 p.m. Israel Time. I'll speak for 45 minutes about how to get your podcast started, and I'll have 15 minutes for questions at the end. All you have to do is register by writing to me at scott, S-C-O-T-T, at jewishcoffeehouse.com, and I'll send you a Zoom invitation. And if you can't make it at that time, but you'd still like to hear the class, write to me, and I'll send you a link to the recorded video afterwards. Again, scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com, and let me help you get started reaching hundreds or thousands of people with a high-quality podcast. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.